the Spectator's prestigious Economic Innovator of the Year Award in partnership with Investec and now in their sixth year. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the success of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. Applications are now open and will close June 16th. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined today by Alex Holder, who is the director of a very interesting documentary about Trump and the Trump family called Unprecedented. And we're going to be talking about Donald Trump and what's happening to him this week, because even though on Americano we've tried to do perhaps move away from always doing Trump podcasts, inevitably he comes back and dominates the headlines, as he has again this week. Alex, the latest was this CNN town hall that he did a day after the court, civil court in Manhattan found him civilly liable for, not of, people keep saying liable of, liable for sexual abuse and defamation and ordered him to pay $5 million. I suppose, Alex, the first thing I want to ask you is, do you think that suit hurts Trump? The polls suggest at the moment that all the sort of lawfare, if you like, against him is not hurting him, it's helping him. Look, I mean, I think that Trump needs to ever potentially win. And I, I don't even think he'll end up being the, the, the nominee. But even if he does become a nominee, he needs suburban women to, to win. And I don't think that these these uh, lawsuits are at all helpful for him you know, within that uh, group of people. Uh, so so I don't think so. And I think it's, it's part of the Trump sort of propaganda campaign rhetoric, which is, you know, we, the way to defend against all these things is to say it's helping us, yeah. which, which is quite childish, actually, uh, because I think that, you know, the, the best example of how, you know, America, in my mind, is fed up with this, you know, madness it, were the midterm elections. I mean, almost every candidate that he endorsed and the crazies did not win. And mm. those that did won by, you know, a very small amount. So, you know, I think America tried it and they are fed up with this uh, constant drama and you know, this, this type of behavior. So, uh, so, so I, personally, I don't think it helps him at all. And I think it also scares him as well. Well, I, t- I take your point about the midterms. But I mean, I, I think, you know, Donald Trump, you might accuse me of doing Trump as propaganda here, but I'm, I'm not trying to. Donald Trump would say he endorsed a lot of candidates in that election and the vast majority of them won. However, you know, a neutral observer would say the ones that lost were very important races and probably the most prominent races, where because of his endorsement, the Republican Party ended up fielding a very weak candidate. Trump isn't a weak candidate in the way that those people were. He is quite an effective campaigner, would you not say? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that is definitely probably the only thing I would say that I saw going for him is that, you know, for some reason, he does connect to a very large audience and he is he, he is his sort of best self or you know he enjoys himself the most when he's standing on a stage in front of you know tens of thousands of adoring fans and and he has you know tens of thousands of adoring fans i mean people were 
you know, it was like a cult when I was there at these rallies. And, you know, it was almost like a religious, uh, you know, sort of fervor that people had towards him, mm. uh, which was really quite extraordinary to see. And, you know, one, one time we were at one of the rallies and I was standing next to a couple of his aides and, and, you know, he went off script and, you know, normally you would expect them to be nervous, you know, that the candidate's gone off script, but they were just delighted and happy because that's when they get to see Trump being Trump. Yeah. And, it, and he's very good at seeing how the things that he's saying, um, associate with the crowd. So he'll say something, he doesn't get the kind of reaction he expects. So he'll pivot to something completely different. So to somebody watching, there's sort of a non sequitur in what he's talking about, but He's doing it because he's feeling what the audience are are saying yes. um, and feeling, you know, in reaction, you know, sort of to reaction to his uh, to his comments. So, yeah, absolutely, he is he is impressive at that for sure. Do you think one problem with people analysing American politics at the moment is the fixation on Trump's base? Because obviously he has a, a significant base, but a lot of you know American elections are decided by independents and swing voters. Uh, you talked about suburban women there, and I think that is a, a good argument for why he won't be able to win in 2024. But there is also another argument, which is that a lot of independents just don't feel as repulsed by Trump as Democrats are, or a lot of people in the media are. They don't love him necessarily. They might even dislike him. But if the economy were to go wrong, if the economy were to get worse in the next year, there's certainly not a lot of love for Joe Biden at the moment. There's quite a lot of people who could easily turn out to be... We used to talk about Obama-Trump voters. I think a lot of them turned out to be Obama-Trump-Biden voters. There could well be a scenario in which a lot of those voters go back to Trump in 2024, could they not? Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing about American politics. I mean, absolutely, that could happen. And I think, you know, it is, from my perspective, slightly terrifying. But, but yes, I mean, it could happen. I just think that the sort of prevailing sort of consensus amongst Republicans that I speak to is that the only reason why they're supporting him is purely because they are terrified if they don't, he will end up not getting the nomination and then running as a third party candidate, splitting the vote with Republicans and basically causing them not to you know, win the White House for potentially some, I even argue, for a generation. So, you know, they will support him, not because they want to, but because they know that he's pretty vindictive and could uh, could cause them immense, uh, you know, immense sort of issues going forward. So I think it, you know, there's there's definitely political games, you know, behind the support that people have to whether that's right or wrong is a separate question. But I think that's certainly a feeling that the Republican sort of lieutenants have. Yes. You said at the beginning, I think that you think he, he might not win the nomination. Presumably, then you'd think Ron DeSantis would win it. How do you see that happening? No, not necessarily. I mean, you know, I think that there are other... Well, at the moment, he hasn't even... You know, DeSantis hasn't even said that he's going to run. Uh, so I think that... I mean, almost certainly will, but he hasn't even said he would... Uh, look, I think it's going to be a, 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 a spectacle <laughs> seeing them up on the stage and, and uh, you know, flinging insults at each other. Uh, and I think it's going to be difficult for any candidate to be able to deal with, with Trump on a stage in a debate and, and campaigning against him for anyone. But, you know, Nikki Haley is also quietly doing her thing and she is you know raising quite a bit of money from um some big republican donors so there are personally i, I don't think she's got a chance but you never know um and uh, i think you know the, the reason i think he won't get it is because you know just in the space of only a few weeks you've had you know the first ever indictment of a former president 
mean, you've had you know the, the this this terrible result for him with respect to the the civil trial you know that he that, that a jury believed that he sexually assaulted a woman i mean that's not you know that that's just it, it sort of it beggars belief that that happened right so mm. i think that also is not going to it's just it's certainly not going to help and i think the republican party need to really work out you know, do, do they think that trump can beat biden at the end of the day with all the stuff that's going on just now and they haven't even really started yet yeah uh, so and then there's obviously the doj investigation and there's the georgia investigation as well so you know there's so many things that are are happening behind the scenes we shall see well alex you, you did this very interesting documentary where you really got behind the scenes with the Trump family in 2020. Are, are you planning to do it again? And, I mean, might I ask, you don't have to, you cannot answer the question if it's going to reveal secrets you don't want to be given away. But how did you get that access and, and, and how did it come about? Sure. So I was uh, introduced to the Trump family by a very close friend of theirs who I knew. Um, the Trump family, the best example are that they're like a mafia family. So essentially they trust only their sort of, you know, immediate family, basically, and then very, very close friends. And they sort of automatically trust and work with the people that they've been introduced to. And I was very, you know, upfront and straightforward with them and said, look, you know, I'm, I have no skin in the game. I'm a Brit from, from London. You guys have been complaining about the way you've been portrayed in the media, you know, for, for years. So I'm here to let you tell your side of the story. And I think the reason they agreed to it was, uh, there were a few factors. I mean, I mean, the truth is, I actually don't know, and I think now they regret it. But you know, at the time, it was around about August of 2020 where they were absolutely convinced they were going to win the election. So here was a guy that was going to film us winning the elections. That was sort of one aspect. Two, that I didn't have any you know, political skin in the game, and and three, honestly, they really liked my accent. Uh, I mean, that you know, Trump is obsessed with Britain. Uh, he, you know, the only person I ever, ever heard him compliment in my time with him was the late queen. Uh, and perhaps he sees himself and his family as sort of a dynastic sort of like royal family, perhaps. But, you know, he uh, admired her. And, uh, and so I think uh, th those were the, those were sort of the potential um, uh, reasons why they did it. Mm. And, you know, what was interesting as well was that they had this, and this is just Trump and his sort of mentality. And, it, and also it affects the, the kids as well, which is they just couldn't believe that I would be, you know, in their minds, portraying them in a bad way. And I don't think I did. I portrayed them in a very authentic way. And obviously they, you know, ended up causing, you know, the, this, uh, the events of, of the 6th of January. Uh, and they were sort of surprised that that was, you know, included in the, you know, in, in the series. And, so to answer your first question, I don't think I'll be able to do another one because they don't like me very much. Have they made, they've made, um, they've made that clear, have they? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Abundantly clear, yes. Will you tell us how yeah. clear? Um, well, let's just say it's hints and whispers. You know, they don't sort of come at you directly, but they make it very clear through other you know, people mm. uh, that they uh, are uh, displeased, to say the, uh, the least. I mean, the, the person that was really the most upset, really, was Ivanka. Because Ivanka had not given really any interviews or very you know, minimal number of interviews during her time at the White House. And she gave us, we did uh, three interviews with her. And 
In the second interview, we interviewed her in the White House about two weeks after we interviewed Trump. So this is around mid-December, so after the election had been called for Biden and you know during the whole madness that they were spewing about the election being a fraud. And so when the January 6th committee interviewed Ivanka, one of the questions they asked her was whether she accepted the statement of the Attorney General, Phil Barr, at the beginning of December, where he said there was no evidence whatsoever to support any of these electoral fraud claims that Trump had been saying. And she said that she had and did accept what Bill Barr said. And that was beginning of December. When I interviewed her mid-December and asked her the question, obviously, I'm not the January 6th committee. And obviously, January 6th hadn't yet happened. But she said that she supports her father's position entirely and uh, he should fight for every vote. So there was a clear discrepancy between what she said you know, to me and what she said to the January 6th committee. And clearly, what she said to them uh, made her look or sound better than had she admitted that she was agreeing with her father's position. And so she was not happy with that. And then I mean, the New York Times did a whole big piece on that, uh, showing the discrepancy. So she was the one that was the most upset. But, um, but you know, I think, I think the reason why they, they're not happy is because they really generally couldn't understand how I, in their mind, showed them you know, as being responsible for these events when there's no alternative explanation. I think they absolutely were responsible for the events of January 6th. And we were making a documentary and there was never ever a moment where we said to them that we were doing you know some sort of uh, you know family biographical type sort of trump movie <laughs> so they they're not the smartest uh, yeah not the brightest shan- the bulb in the chandelier so. i thought it was actually i've watched a lot of trump documentaries and i thought it was it was fair actually because hmm. you had sort of critical talking heads but you also had you you let the family talk a lot and and, it, and you didn't edit it, in it, I don't think, in a cynical way. And I thought what was very interesting that came out of it was the relationship, the, fam, the family relationship. And you described it earlier as like a mafia. But I mean, it's probably a bit cliche of me to say it's a bit succession-esque in the, in the Absolutely. There's a sort of theme there. But it, it is interesting. And what, what insights did you get sort of off camera into the dynamics between the family members, between the brothers and Ivanka and, and between Trump? Yeah, I mean, the, the, main, the main real feeling I got was how they were all really just, I mean, this is really where the succession thing comes in. And, and you know, in the latest season, you know, I'm watching it and I'm just seeing how, whether it was on purpose or not, how similar that these characters are to the Trump kids mm. in, in that they are just vying constantly for their father's attention and love. And so there's a lot of, sort of friction between the children they wouldn't so they would never say that that friction is negative or that they don't like each other and you know from my perspective it does look like they do get on but there is this undercurrent of who's daddy's favorite mm-hmm. and who is going to sort of you know take over right yeah. and i think that's certainly uh, that certainly came across mainly between don jr and ivanka um, you know but they they all have their own sort of quirks and you know i mean you know don jr is i would say in some ways a more articulate version of his father he is very good at, at campaigning you know he's just a typical demagogue frankly um you know ivanka does think that she's cleverer than she is and uh, she sort of puts on this facade but you know these are children that have been in the spotlight and have been the focus of the media since they were children you know ivanka had paparazzi following her to school when she was a young girl whilst her father was in the midst of 
you know, some, you know, extramarital affair, right? So, you know, they have this, they, they've just been born into this incredibly unusual environment. I mean, they lived in a skyscraper, right? So mm. yeah, it, it's just such an unusual world that they, and every now and then you do see moments of, of real, but they have, I mean, Ivanka specifically has almost turned her reality into this persona. Like she, it's almost the persona is now her. And so, but rarely, but you do see it sort of break out every now and then. Um, but she's very good at, you know, putting it you know, all on. But, uh, but yeah, they absolutely are always clamoring and fighting over trying to get their, their dad's attention for sure. Yeah, there was that famous bit, uh, and you played it in, in the documentary, when Donald Trump Jr. Did, did the interview with his father and he said, you know, who's your favourite child and why is it Ivanka or something? And, and yeah. Trump goes, oh, Mr. Wise Guy here. Or, or, and, and, yeah. uh, I mean, that, so that's a sort of... Trump's favouritism of Ivanka is, is a family joke. Uh, how real do you think it is? Oh, it's absolutely real. I mean, you know, when we were speaking about his kids, so I, you know, I showed him on my iPad clips of, uh, of his kids campaigning for him. And, you know, the moment he sees Ivanka, his lights, you know, his eyes open, he's far more as human as Trump can be when she's on the stage and when, she's, when he's seeing her. So he, he does uh, absolutely know. I would say as much as Donald Trump can love, he, he certainly loves uh, his daughter you know, significantly more. But I think, you know, Don and Junior and him had a you know, very fractious relationship growing up. So, mm. you know, that obviously played a part um, in, in their relationship. But now, obviously, Don has embraced his father and is sort of his... Um, a sort of right-hand man, you know, type thing. So I think, you know, but, but as to whether or not Trump sees, you know, there's that, I sort of keep coming back to succession, but you, you know, you, you absolutely, I absolutely can see Trump saying that his kids are morons. You know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is, uh, it, it is fascinating, the, 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 the similarities between the two. And then they are a very, very unusual family. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think very rich families often are, aren't they? I think it's a kind of, it's, it's- yeah, I mean, this is what I was trying to work out because I've met, you know, lots of these sort of rich families before. And, and the thing about it is because on the one hand, like, you know, if you saw Eric Trump in a crowd, he, you know, well, he's very tall, but he doesn't come across as being, you know, particularly elegant or, you know, he, you know he, I remember sort of like he didn't come across as a rich kid in, mm. in a sense, right? He, they're much more scrappy, which I think is what well, he is and Don for sure is. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, because, but the, the the aspect that's unusual, I think, is that their father has been, you know, incredibly famous for really bad reasons most of the time. Yeah. And so I think that's obviously had an impact on them. And uh, and so yeah, like that that to me was the unusual. The the adoration towards him is also really quite unusual. Yeah. So yeah, so that that that's also interesting. Do you think that's part of the appeal with disaffected white working class in America is that, and not just white working class actually, but uh, working class people in America, is that Trump behaves like a regular guy in, some, in so many ways and he, he has, or the, the family have a kind of common touch that other politicians just don't have? So this is the thing that's interesting, right? Is that there's a sort of contradiction here because on the one hand, you've got this incredibly wealthy guy from New York City, real estate mogul, who people, you know, working class people have some sort of connection with. And I think it's not because they think that they could go for a beer with him because, you know, he's not that kind of guy at all. 
I think it's because because he is the kind of guy they would expect to watch his words mm. and he doesn't. That's what's interesting, right? So he is someone who you know, wears a suit and a tie and is this wealthy guy from New York, but is saying the things that these guys are thinking mm. and is now allowing them to be said. And I think they sort of, you know, it doesn't really make sense for, yeah, you would expect the guy who says those things. I mean, this is obviously a massive generalization, but you would expect them to, you know, if they're wearing suit and ties, they're doing it in a private members club quietly with a bunch of their mates and they go and play golf. They're not, you know, associating with sort of, you know, what, I mean, Trump himself said it, you know, when, when those people were attacking the Capitol, he didn't like those images because he couldn't believe that they were his supporters because they were like sort of, you know, the Basel 40 line, you know, riffraff, right? Mm. Like, you know, that's the way he, he doesn't even like the people that support him. But moving that to one, to, to, to an aside, you know, it's, the fact that he is this almost like he looks like an establishment figure mm. that is saying these incredibly, you know, sort of not politically correct things on, on stage. And then obviously, frankly, racist, misogynistic and homophobic things as well. Are you, are you sure he doesn't like his supporters? I, I mean, I, I've been to Trump rallies and maybe I'm, I was duped by it, but I, I feel perhaps because they worship him, he gives the worship back. Well, he loves he loves the worship, but also if you notice at these rallies, you know, generally they they are quite well created in the sense of who he sees and where certain people are in terms of you know how close they are to the stage and and you know and, and all that. So yes, he absolutely loves the worship, but he doesn't spend much time thinking about the real voters who are voting for him at all. You know, he look he he himself says that he has always been an outsider and was never accepted by you know, the people that he wanted to be accepted by. And the people he wanted to be accepted by were not the people that vote for him. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to be, you know, he, he paid people, allegedly, to come to one of his weddings. I mean, he always wanted to be part of that circle and, uh, and never really managed to do it because he's, you know, he's, he, he's, just a, a, he's just an unpleasant fellow, really. I mean, people just don't really like him. Yeah. Even people who know him, I'm saying. And did you get a sense of that? Actually, I wanted to ask you about sort of around the time of January 6th. Did you get a sort of sense of what the Trumps were really thinking? There's a bit of it in Dr. Peter's book, what, what, what they were really thinking off camera. Yeah, I mean, look, I think so. there was a few sort of the thinking in the White House and yeah, amongst the, the kids during that led up to that period was really interesting because you had... So, so just number one, just to give you some context, when I interviewed Trump the first time in, in the White House, so this is at a period where he had completely barricaded himself in you know, the Oval Office. He wasn't giving any interviews, really wasn't speaking to anybody, which was unusual because Trump always loved speaking to the media and giving speeches. Um, so no one had access to him. He was in a terrible mood. He comes into the, into, the, into the room to do the interview. And what I noticed was that the people that were with him, so his you know, closest aides, were terrified of him so this is not like a a feeling of respect that you would get you know towards a president they just really were very very nervous around him so there was this feeling of fear a couple of so, so what you had is you had i think sort of three groups there was people who were saying to me this is off camera before he arrived that they think trump's position is terrible and that he should not be attacking the sanctity of the vote what instead he should be doing is talking about how he you know fast track the covid vaccine you know, he saved America, he opened it up, and he should go around America and sort of as a swan song say how great he was and that, you know, he didn't win the election, but, you know, he can sort of say that he, uh, he saved everyone's lives from, from COVID. 
and that his approach is very bad. So that was sort of one thought. The others was the other was we don't think he'll be successful, you know, in terms of um, of trying to overturn the election. But we are sort of willing to stay and see what happens. Mm. Um, but they might be like you know sort of you know, um, updating their CV because they don't think it's gonna gonna work. And then the third group, which were those that you know believed in everything he said and they would do whatever they could to keep him in because they believed that he had actually won. So you know you had those. I think you know from the you know, Eric is explicit in being the third category. I mean, he absolutely believes that the election was stolen and that, you know, his father won and, uh, and you know, he, he thinks it's the biggest misjustice ever, the injustice ever. Uh, so I think that's that. You know, Ivanka, I, I don't personally believe she, you know, she agreed with her father, but she just wasn't able to change his mind because she can't and she's scared of him. Mm. As it was proven from that video the January 6th committee put out where you could see how nervous she was speaking off camera. And... And then obviously Don as well sort of supports his, his father's position. And, and Trump really does believe it. I mean, this is the thing, you know, and I got a lot of people didn't like me saying this, but you know, I, when I went into that room before interviewing me and my DOP cameraman, we had a debate as to whether or not Trump really believed in the election being stolen. And I was always, maybe it's the British in me, but like, there's no way he believes that it's all part of the Trump, you know, sort of game and like deep down, he doesn't really believe it. When I finished that interview, I, I, I honestly was terrified because, you know, obviously the American system, you know, in England, when you lose the election, right, the, the moving vans are outside down in the street, you know, the next day, and that's it. You're, you know, you're kicked out and there's a new prime minister immediately. You know, there's a, that period in America of about sort of two months, you know, from the election day to inauguration, where you've got someone who is now literally an insane man who controls everything. And... No, they've only ever had 44 presidents before him that toe the line. So, you know, it was sort of inevitable that something bad might happen soon. And there you had it. And so, you know, there I'm standing. And, and this guy was insane. I mean, he genuinely, absolutely believed that he had won and that this whole thing was, was stolen. And even yesterday on CNN, he still maintains that position. Mm. And... Yeah, it, it's it's just extraordinary that that, and so I was very nervous, and I thought at that point this is not going to go well, you know, for America. And then later on, it was pretty clear that you know something like January six was going to happen, and and it did tragically. Another person who who you interviewed was is Jared Kushner, and I have a suspicion he's going to become an interesting figure again in twenty twenty four because Hunter Biden is obviously going to be talked about a lot, although Jared Kushner's not. Trump's son, he's his son-in-law, but there are, there's always been rumours, reports, sort of a certain shadiness swirling around what's happened with Jared Kushner and what he was doing in the White House and and so on. Nothing's really been proven, we should say. But what was your sense of him as a, as a character? Impressively unimpressive, <laughs> <laughs> I would say. I mean, honestly, it was, it, 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 look, I should sort of say that no, all of them were actually polite and you know, very charming, you know, including Trump to an extent. You know, Jared is, is a you know very you know sort of nice fellow. But what got me was the audacity that he had to think that he had earned and had a right to be in the position that he was in, mm-hmm. which I just thought was fascinating. I mean, you know, the only reason why he's in the White House is purely because he married the guy's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Like. 
he was a, a not particularly good real estate investor. You know, his claim to fame prior to being in the White House was probably the most terrible real estate transaction in New York history. Uh, when he bought that building, was it 666 for 666, some ridiculous yeah. amount of money and, and need to be bailed out. So, you know, he is not particularly an impressive guy. He's a very nice guy, but certainly not, yeah, I don't need to you know, be sort of be run. I mean, he literally was probably the most powerful man, you know, in the building. So that was, that was surprising. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, he, he, he really, the thing that he cared, I think, the most about really was that the pardon that his father got. Yeah. That was something that he was uh, that he I think of all the things uh, he needed or wanted was was that, and uh, he got it. Yes, but I mean he he was in charge of a lot of things, and uh, I, I take what you're saying that you found him unimpressive. But he can't be that unimpressive. He did, I mean even if he had the leg up of being the, the son-in-law and, and much liked by Donald Trump, he he did inveigle his way into a lot of areas of policy. I mean I I'm I'm struck that you found him that unimpressive. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, the, there's a, you know, the, the, if you look at sort of what the administration did in those four years, right? I mean, so there were some successes, there's no question. But at the end of the day, the reason why it wasn't as terrible as it could have been was because of how disorganized, how, how essentially they had no ideological principle because the guy in charge only cared about himself, right? So, the moment you get someone in like Trump that actually you know, cares about something, mm. to me, that's actually much more worrying. And then obviously surrounds himself or herself with competent people. So I think, you know, the, the lack of successes or, or even the lack of really damaging things and, and the proof of, of, of maybe how poor Jared Kushner was as, as running the show was how January 6th ended up happening. I mean, it didn't happen in isolation, right? I mean, this was a... You know, sustained effort by his boss to undermine the sanctity of elections in America for two months, and obviously even before that. Mm. So, you know, if he was an impressive guy, he would have reined that in or walked away. So, when when January sixth happened, you said earlier you were sort of terrified and you, it was a sort of tragic day for America. <clears throat> Tell us a bit more about that. What what were you thinking? Were you thinking these people who you'd sort of actually quite liked in some way? I know you haven't said that you like them necessarily, but you seem sort of to see the good side of them in a way. You think that it, were you nervous and scared that they had done something terrible? Absolutely, and I think you know, you know I, I wouldn't say I, I. I mean, I certainly wouldn't say I like Don Junior or or Ivanka or, or in fact Donald Trump himself. But Eric, I have a bit of a soft spot for maybe because I think he's a bit like cousin Greg. Yeah. Um, I sort of feel for him a bit. Um, but, you know, I think, and he just really is just trying hard to make his dad love him. So maybe there's a bit of some sympathy there. But, I mean, look, these people are actually human. I mean, some people accuse me of, you know, of humanizing them. I mean, they are actually are human, which to me is actually makes it more scary because humans can actually behave like this. And so despite the fact they might be polite and, you know, say please and thank you and talk to sort of camera crew and whatnot, which other sort of, you know, celebrities or politicians don't do, that they still were absolutely responsible for, for what took place. And, and yes, yeah, so, so what took place? I mean, the day before that rally, I was in a hotel elevator again with Michael, our DOP. And I said, you know, Trump's going to get them all to march on the Capitol tomorrow. And, you know, we sort of laughed at that, you know, sort of at my comment, uh, but we planned accordingly. Mm. And, you know, and the reason, you know, it wasn't sort of just a, a random thought. I mean, you know, this, the rally was taking place 
on the day of the ceremonial you know, counting of electoral votes. And uh, you know, Trump had already spoken out multiple times about his vice president trying to intervene uh, in that process. And it was clear that a lot of people were going to come to DC and it was going to be very, you know, it was going to be a very sort of emotional event. And, you know, I, so we were there, it was freezing cold, I'll never forget, bitterly cold, huge numbers of people, I mean, the biggest rally I'd seen. And, you know, he explicitly told them, to, and they were riled up before, I mean, they were riled up by Giuliani, by that, you know, was it Eastman and a, and a couple of other maniacs. And, and then you had, you know, some, uh, some uh, religious leader that came on stage, and they were all praying. And I mean, the, people were literally praying to God, that something would happen that day that would keep Trump in office. Mm. And uh, and he and he said, I'll walk with you to to that uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't. And uh, well, we know that he wanted to, but uh, he didn't. And, uh, and then that, that those events took place. And you know, we were there and we saw the moment, you know, obviously multiple people died on, you know, on that day or, or because of events that happened on that day, but two people actually died on the day. One lady was shot and another lady who we witnessed was crushed to death. You know, one of Trump's own supporters was crushed to death on the steps of the Capitol, which we capture in that, you know, on, on film. And, you know, that was just a, an absolutely traumatic event. And to see that, it was horrendous. And, you know, and he's utterly responsible for it. I mean, there's no, in my mind, there's no alternative explanation. What do you think? I don't want to lead you down conspiracy theory alley, but what do you think of the footage that Tucker Carlson released on Fox News showing the, the QAnon shaman Charmsley being kind of, it seemed, escorted round the Capitol by the police? I mean... There were odd things that happened that day. I, I don't want to be getting into conspiracy theories, but it's not a sort of riot in the, in the, in the completely simple sense that you might think it is. Is that fair to say? What, what I saw, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm basing my you know, sort of position on literally what I saw with my own eyes. Yeah. And what I saw was a completely out of control, riled up, angry crowd that tried to get into the capital and were prevented from being able to get in by incredibly brave police officers who you know were all being you know pushed up against this sort of entry tunnel and were being attacked with flagpoles and with um you know all sorts of uh of of you know weapons that people had brought and uh, and they were you know they stood their ground and, and you know that, that that's what I saw in my own eyes. So, you know, in terms of whether or not some people got in because, you know, a police officer felt it was better to, you know, try and keep it calm and, you know, and collected. And, yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many ways, obviously, of reading into the CCTV footage, you know, obviously without sound and, and whatnot. And, you know, we know that Tucker Carlson has his own uh, agenda. I don't, you know, for me, the people that I met, you know, that were trying to you know, break in were people who really genuinely believed that the republic had been stolen and so they wanted to take it back and they they believe that purely because the guy that they uh that they admire and, and that they voted for uh told them so and and that guy wasn't the candidate he was the sitting president of the united states so you know do do i think they're responsible absolutely you know th those people that were doing that you know you can't break the law but but at the same time they th they would not say that they were anything other than ardent trump supporters trying to do what their president had told him to do. Mm. Alex, you said you're not going to do another Trump documentary for obvious reasons. Are you going to do more documentaries about American politics? Have you got any projects to do any more 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are actually um, in the uh, middle of, of production on a uh, very uh, well-known political character, uh, which um, I'm not going to reveal right now, but uh, we'll reveal in due course, which is pretty fascinating. And I'm addicted to American politics. I think it's such a fascinating world, you know, like the best that we have in the UK, right, is, I don't know, too much money being spent on wallpaper in 10 Downing Street, whereas you know, here, here there's, there's just all, you know, just one sort of bit of chaos and then another, and, and it's just extraordinary. And I think, but, but also it is, it, there's, you know, I, don't, I see the, the, for me, it's, there's something good about all of this at the end of the day, which is that democracy here in America still did work, you know, mm. and whilst Trump certainly tried to, you know, fracture, well, he certainly tried to destroy the foundations of democracy, you know, and, and he ended up fracturing them, they are still strong enough and they, and they still are standing. And, you know, one of the things that are happening now, which, you know, is absolutely out of the Trump playbook is, you know, undermining the judicial system, right? I mean, Trump tried to do that when he was in the White House and he said to me, I mean, it was out of the, you know, sort of how to be a totalitarian leader is you say, well, we need to find brave judges, you know, who support my position, right? So, you know, and then when you have people today who support Trump saying, oh, well, the New York judicial system is biased. I mean, at that point, you know, you're completely undermining you know, the, the, this, this system, which is literally set up to, uh, if we don't believe in that, then, you know, the whole thing falls apart. So, mm. you know, I think that that's dangerous, but America is still standing and it's still, I think, um, you know, for all its contentions, still a, uh, a pretty uh, remarkable country. Yeah, well, I do. I mean, I, I love America. And I think it's a remarkable country. I, I do think the, the judicial system is is politicized in various ways. But uh, what you said about loving American politics reminded me of a journalist who said to me that he said, when you go, when you cover American politics, it's like smoking crack cocaine. And when you go back, <laughs> when you go back to Britain, you're having sort of returned to, to lager. And that's right. right. So, but um, you say so you're not going to tell us who the politician you're working on. Is he a Republican? Is it uh, is he or she a Republican or a Democrat? I'll say that he's a Republican, yeah. Republican. Very interesting. Well, I look forward to uh, finding out who it is and watching it very much. Look forward to watching it very much. Alex, thank you very much for coming on to Americano. Yeah, really a pleasure. Really lovely chatting with you. Hope to do it again. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Farose, and the rest of the Spectators broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.